it's a bit tragic that every form of art and every form of expression becomes progressively more censored. Mm -hmm. I very much agree. And we see this every day. We see this, uh, especially in Netflix, if you want to put Netflix, we see various- Bit of continuity between this segment and the previous one there. Of course. We see it everywhere, basically. Now, the thing is that in my, in my journey in trying to understand contemporary culture, I was checking new discourses and, uh, you know, that is associated with James Lindsay, Helen Plackrose, Peter Plackrose, yeah, and uh, others. And I was watching at the, you know, the, the letters that they have down there, you mm -hmm. know, A, B, C, D, they have all the alphabet. And basically the only letter that has no word registered under it is Z. If we mm -hmm. click on Z, uh, please. Thank you. We will see that there is no word there. And I have a recommendation to make to the contributors of uh, new discourses. I think the word Zdanovism uh, would be a good addition. Now, I haven't heard of this before yeah. you actually mentioned it, so I'm very interested to hear what it actually is. Yes, uh, and uh, basically it's really interesting because you could say that uh, the West Western society right now faces a problem with a kind of Zdanovism, a kind of cultural Zdanovism. So let us, be, before we say a bit more about this, he was the chief propagandist of the Soviet Union in the, in the 40s. Mm -hmm. Now, before we say more about this, you can visit a website and uh, you can, uh, for five pounds a month, you can have uh, access to all our premium content and you can watch videos such as this one. It's Symposium 17 that uh, Harry and I did. It's a discussion on the politics of Aristotle where we are discussing Aristotle's views on kingship, tyranny, oligarchy, aristocracy, democracy, and what he calls polity. And uh, this is a very interesting discussion. It's uh, by all means, check it out. Okay, now let's go back to our, to our topic. Many people know Yuri Bezmenov. Uh, let's uh, see this part of the, mm -hmm. this clip. Of it might be worth mentioning quickly who he was, but he was basically yeah. um, someone in the Soviet Union yeah. who tried to expose the tactics that the Soviet Union used to propagandize people. Yes. So let's lo look at this clip where he talks a bit about his life and the, and, the, and the education he received, or at least the message that was constantly bombarded in his head. And we all see that this, ha we could say that this had to do something with Zdanovism. Let's watch a bit. Mr. Besmianov, I'd like to begin by having you tell us a little bit about some of your childhood memories. Well, the most vivid memory of my childhood was Second World War, or to be more precise, the end of the Second World War, when all of a sudden, United States, from a friendly uh, nation, which helped us to defeat Nazism, turned overnight into a, a deadly enemy. And it was very shocking because uh, all newspapers were trying to present an image of belligerent, aggressive American imperialism. Most of the things that we were taught is that the United States is aggressive power, which is just about to invade our beautiful free socialist country, uh, that American CIA is dropping Colorado beetles on our beautiful potato fields to eliminate our crops. And each schoolboy had a, a picture of Colorado bug on the, on the back page of his notebook. And we were instructed to go into collective fields to search for those little Colorado bugs. Of course, we couldn't find any. Neither we could find ma many potatoes. 
And that was explained again by the encroachments of the decadent imperialist power. Um, the anti-American paranoia, hysteria in, in the Soviet propaganda was to such an, uh, of such a higher degree that many less skeptical people or less stubborn would really believe that the United States is just about to invade our beautiful motherland and some secretly hope that it will come true. <laughs> so we have the, the following narrative. We are the perfect ones. Everything that is imperfect in our country is to be blamed to the other people. And that's quite a powerful form of rhetoric because people are generally inclined to think that about themselves, aren't they? People yeah. are kind of inherently narcissistic until they learn or they teach themselves otherwise. And I think that's because when you're a child, you are egocentric by definition. And I think that's to a child's advantage. But when it continues on into adulthood, it's not helpful because it's like a, a delayed... Um, kind of progression in one's ma maturation. Yeah, that kind of arrested development. Mm -hmm. But it means it's powerful because those people can then become susceptible to these sorts of techniques because they already have that proclivity in themselves. So extending it to their nation, which is part of their identity in the first place, um, even if they um, perhaps don't even identify with it or disagree yeah. um, with the, the, the way it's governed, it can still have an effect on your psychology. So I can see why it was effective. So the thing is that you could say that to some extent, um, this was an outcome of Zdanovism. Now, we'll, uh, let me just give you some short biographical account. If you know him, that's great. You could, re you could remind of yourself. I could remind you of some facts about it. If you don't know him, check him out. Okay, so he was born in Mariupol in 1896 and died in 1948. He was a member of the Politburo, head of the Propaganda Department and Foreign Police Department. He was a personal friend of Stalin. They say that he was a really good uh, piano pianist, mm -hmm. and Stalin uh, got a really good piano in his dacha, and he had Zdanov over frequently to play it. Being close to Stalin and not dying in the purges is quite a feat ill one of itself. He was also involved in the purges. Uh, many mm -hmm. people think that he was. And uh, he, in let's say in, um, in 1934, he was appointed to the a position of assistant of the Central Committee in the Kremlin. And he supervised a number of departments such as agriculture, fin uh, financial department, political and administrative department, executive department and the central committee secretariat. So he did pretty much everything. Yeah, so basically Stalin entrusted him with the one of the major fields of building up the country, and that was ideology. So Zdanov was the, ch the head of Soviet ideology. So he's, he's like the equivalent of uh, Vladislav Serkov for Vladimir Putin in a way. Um, you could say, but I think maybe that's that's a bit more uh, extreme in Zdanov's case. Yes, I would say so as well. Okay, so the thing is that he was responsible for persecutions of artists like the poet Anna Akhmatova and the satirist Mikhail Zoshenko and, uh, and many others. So the thing is, he tried to use art because he was really cultured and he enjoyed the music and art and all forms of art. He tried to subdue art and try to put art in favor of the Soviet uh, 
let's say, regime. So I wonder where we've seen that. All forms of art that were to be accepted were going to advance the main political ideology of the USSR. Hmm. If only there were some real world examples of this in the modern day. Yes. Okay, so the whole thing is that he was against what was called bourgeois art and the individualistic values that... Um, boo. <laughs> you're not supposed to go boo, yeah. And all these individualist values. And he was really uh, involved in the, idea, in the uh, movement of socialist realism, where he said that art is go should portray... Um, you know, just normal everyday workers building the world of tomorrow in the Soviet Union. I mean, some of the socialist realist art is quite good. I mean, uh, to give them credit, I mean, their, their propaganda is pretty cool. <laughs> I don't agree with it, obviously. Okay. I will add. And uh, the thing is, uh, we will examine the Zdanov doctrine now. And uh, but just also to say that he died in 1948. I want to say an excellent source about the Zdanov doctrine is a book by, called by Tony Judd uh, called uh, Post-War Europe. Okay, now let's go to the uh, next link on Britannica called, that says Zdanovshina. Okay, it's the Zdanov doctrine. Zdanovshina. Yeah. Okay, if we read a bit down, it says Zdanovism, English, th th thank you. It's cultural policy of the Soviet Union during the Cold War period following World War II calling for a stricter government control of art and promoting an extreme anti-Western bias. Extreme anti-Western bias. Now, hmm. for some reason, is there an extreme anti-Western bias in the West? Yes. Okay. Um, or, I mean, you could debate over whether it's extreme because there are things that yeah. are pro-Western still. They slip through the cracks here and there, but um, perhaps the, the majority of things that make statements about the nature of the West and the nations therein tend to present it in a negative light. Exactly. And it seems to me that there is a worrying trend in which, okay, of course, we don't have the extreme uh, doctrine, the extreme manifestation of this doctrine, but that th there is a tendency of more and more artistic freedom being robbed away. Oh, certainly, yes. And not just from artists, in every form of speech. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> To use uh, an example, I, I remember talking to Nick Dixon about the fact that you know he was in comedy, he was right wing, and he's just like, yeah, good luck getting any bookings as a comedian uh, being right wing because the, the, the entire sphere is co-opted by left wingers. Left. Yeah. So you you can't even get an entry point, even if you're really good. I mean, it's not based on merit. It's it's more sort of. Um, What's the word? It's more you have to virtue signal and say I'm part of the camp, and if I'm part of the mm -hmm. of your camp, I should go forward. Mm -hmm. It's like what has happened with the universities. Yeah, there's a ridiculous overrepresentation of of people who support the left in universities. Now, let me continue. Originally applied to literature, it soon spread to other arts and gradually affected all spheres of intellectual activity in the Soviet Union, including philosophy, biology, medicine, and other sciences. It was initiated by a resolution of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. It was formulated by the party secretary and cultural boss, Andrei Zdanov. Now, and uh, as it says a bit down, as the campaign accelerated, all vestiges of Westernism or cosmopolitanism in Soviet life were fettered out. Earlier critics and literary historians were denounced for suggesting that Russian classics had been influenced by Rousseau, Moliere, 
Lloyd Byron, Charles Dickens. And the thing is that the Zdanov doctrine involves the separation of the, of the world into two camps. The one is the camp of the US-led, of the anti-democratic camp, um, that is the U US-led camp, and the other is the democratic Soviet Union. That was the doctrine. Oh yeah, and it's all about democracy. And, and the, the, and the US-led camp was anti-democratic and imperialist, whereas the Soviet Union was portrayed as democratic and anti-imperialist. So basically, the whole thing is, we're going to do the same thing the others are doing. We're just going to put an anti in favor of, in front of it. And the same, you know, we're going to say that we are justified and the others are not. Okay, now, the thing is that I think it's important to see an analogy with the West today. And I want us to have a look at some videos. Now, the thing is, you can see basically everywhere. And I won't say that there are some analogies in that nothing is neutral. Uh, everything is either, you know, pro-woke or anti-woke. Uh, as far as the woke camp is concerned, there is no middle ground. Mm -hmm. There's no room for debate. Everyone who disagrees is an enemy. This is a uh, sort of Frankfurt School view of things as well, isn't it? In that they, they wanted to break down all of culture into yes. what pushes for their agenda and what works against it. Exactly. And they had the Emancipation Project that uh, targets specific groups that are sectored out as, and, and um, let's say, that are seen as the dominated groups and the project of the critical theories to emancipate those groups. Okay, there's also the anti-close. So for instance, we talk about, we, we constantly listen about anti-racist. Uh, we have the, and we have the th the whole top-down implementation and sent of a sent from a centralized, let's say, government, the top-down implementation of the whole woke agenda, and we have then the freedom to disagree with the woke agenda is progressively eroded. Now, let's have a look at the at uh, the next article, please. Um, not the next one, sorry. Yeah, okay. Now, let's see how nothing is neutral. Just like in the Soviet Union, we had, the, we had Soviet agriculture, now we have woke astrophysics. This is from January 2023. Now, space is racist. Woke Colorado astrophysics professor moans her field is riddled with white supremacy and sexism with colleagues using hypermasculine and violent language to describe the cosmos. But space is black. How can it be racist? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't understand the, the racism part. Oh, they're using language you don't approve of. But yeah, is it that, you know, black people can't breathe in space, therefore it's some sort of cosmic knee that deprives them of breath? There, there is nothing to understand. It's just you're not serving our political purposes. You're targeted for two minutes. <laughs> Damn you, space. You're, yeah. you're not helping me race grift. Yes. Also, we have, just think think for a moment awards. Mm -hmm. Take prizes, uh, like the Pulitzer Prize. Now, do you think that this is just what journalism is supposed to be with a latest winner or not? Or is it somehow top-down implemented to it's give awards to people who say things that the public cares not about? Well... With all of these awards, people forget that it's a group of people 
who basically have opinions, and they're going to pick people whose opinions are similar to their own because people don't like people who have different opinions than, funnily enough. Um, and so they just pick people who reflect their own views. And funnily enough, it always seems to be left wingers that win awards. It's it's strange, that isn't it? I mean, let's go on the next link, please, and see the most outrageous Pulitzer Prize of lead of all time. Critic Andrea Longchu goes way out there and is rewarded with a Pulitzer Prize. If we scroll down a bit, please. Just a bit. Okay, you check this. It's the writer, book critic Andrea Longchu for New York Magazine wrote the lead while trying to make sense of the scatological imagination of, law, of novelist Otessa Moshfeg known for her physical and metaphysical explorations of the human body and all the waste it produces. Spoiler, so, I, I, won't spoil the, <laughs> I won't spoil the ending for people. So it's quite literally a, a boatload of uh, S. Yes. <laughs> well, I could have told you that without even knowing what she was talking about. Okay, and I have some videos that I think it would be interesting to watch. Let's watch the next link, please. Uh-oh. Yesterday was the International Day Against... Homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. Let's look at this gentleman. Yes, a triumphant entrant. Next, next uh, video, please. We have this from UN Development. Again, for what yeah, are those body proportions? Tiny heads, big yeah, bodies. And very thin. <laughs> it's like the chicken body distribution. You have very thin legs. That, they they've skipped like leg they day. The, the, I like really, how they had the the tranny there. That <laughs> was meant to be a woman. That was like that, like hulking brute with yeah. a tiny little head. <laughs> so one thing, honestly, uh, it seems to me that there is no need for a day like that because the whole year is. Yeah, it's supposed to be like that. By having a day, we're supposed to think that this is something that we only remember in that day. But who is to blame? Let's watch a bit the next one. Labels and laws may have changed, but lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and intersex people have been around for a long time. There are about 64 five years countries around the world which have laws that criminalize homosexuality. In some countries, you can even be sentenced to death for consensual same-sex sexual acts. Many of these laws around the world were brought in by colonizers, no, like Section Idiot. 377 from the British Penal Code, which criminalized sexual activities across the former British Empire. Okay, I think we can pose it here. Thank you. Uh, the thing is, again, there are 64 countries that have laws against homosexuality. I'm willing to bet that most of them are not Western. Well, I, I covered, um, what was it, Uganda, and they brought the legislation in themselves. They're a former British colony. I mean, a lot of their, their politics, they speak English. Yeah. And yeah, they introduced this legislation long after we left. I, I think that they're refusing to engage in, in the actual realities of the situation that, yeah, actually, parts of Africa are very Christian, very religious, and they, they are completely at odds with Western attitudes. Again, this seems to me to involve to have a really close parallel with Zdanovism because it seems again to divide the camp into an imperialist, colonialist side and an mm -hmm. anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist side. And everything bad that happens to the latter camp is to be blamed on the former camp. Mm -hmm. It's like what Bezmanov was talking about, the bugs and potatoes here. Now the thing is that the more we the more th things the more days go by, we progressively see 
every form of art, including children's movies, to become, you know, really involved into pushing forward the woke agenda. Even Transformers did it. Let's watch this. Of course. Um, Martin, can you switch? Uh... Nightshade's pronouns are they, them. He or she just doesn't fit who I am. My apologies. Please switch their piece. Now, the plan. Transformers, men in disguise. There you go. You have, Transgenders, even. I mean, th th that's weird. That, I mean, that's you could. So why? Creepy. Why to do that to children? Then you'd have Optimus Prime saying, "Autobots, transition and roll out." <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at an Autobot transitioning. <laughs> this is a Ford commercial. They don't understand their market, do they? Yeah. You want a pickup truck? Make it nice bright colours, I'm sure. Men will love that. So, you had two Ranger Raptors competing mm -hmm. against each other. One was in favour, one was in front of the other, but when the, uh, the, the other four transitioned, Mm -hmm. It gained advantage and, you know, the other one bit its dust. A subtle based metaphor for society giving yeah. special treatment, maybe. So, no, it's not. I mean, the whole thing obviously is way out of proportions. We see uh, brand ambassadors constantly supporting the woke agenda. It, it's completely over the top. What is the goal? Let's watch the next clip. Big drive at the moment for trans representation and something I've said when I've spoken at Pride a couple of times is like, yes, that's nice, but like trans power is also the goal. Like trans people being able to control our own lives. Like like there's never been an openly an openly like trans MP who's transitioned. Like every rule, every law that I've ever had to live under was written by a cis person. Every head of the NHS, every health secretary has been cis. And it's like, okay. Be I nice. say that we wanted a brown home secretary for ages and look what we got. Yes, yeah, yeah, perhaps, yes. Um, <laughs> I was going to be like, mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, maybe that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only take um, so much cringe but in But yes, trans power is, I think, uh, is, I think the goal, strategically. Now, I, I, have, I haven't cringed people for in, in a while. So that's I true, yeah. to. I now, like how they're using the, the phrase trans power. Yeah. You do that for, for a certain few groups and you sound very... <laughs> questionable by yeah. by some perspectives and one thing about representation because this is this constantly it, we constantly hear about representation and we were talking with john and he made a really good point so when a child watches transformers they can link they can identify with optimus prime mm -hmm. without thinking that optimus prime is their gender <laughs> obviously you want optimus prime to beat the decepticons mm-hmm you don't have to say that Optimus Prime is, you know, I, I want to be represented by Optimus Prime, so we're going to make a, a, a human Autobot. Maybe the uh, Decepticons are going to misgender the uh, the Autobots. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be their new weapon. Yeah, so in this tweet, if we see Dr. Charlotte Proudman again pushes the same agenda of white guilt. As a white person, we must recognize our privilege under white supremacy, colonialism, and imperialism. People of color have been denied equality because of conscious and unconscious racism and prejudice. 
So yes, we should feel guilty and ashamed. She doesn't feel guilty and ashamed in expressing her view in public though. I mean, what privilege? I mean, white people are explicitly legally persecuted. We're the net taxpayer yeah. in, in, in British society. So we contribute more than anyone else and get the least out of it. Oh, that's, that's white supremacy must be. It must be because it's the wrong camp. Yes. It's Zdanovism. If you're in the imperialist, anti-democratic camp, according to, to Zdan, the way Zdanov uh, did it, it's you're wrong. And Great. there's nothing you can do. And everything that happens in the other camp, it's just good. And every bad thing is not um, is to be blamed on your side. Now, um, let's go on the next link. I'm sorry, it's n that's not it. If yeah, here. Before we say a bit about it, I want to say that one of the problems with the cu cultural wars today is that the woke camp has many groups, it plays identity politics, and has many groups that are not compatible. And again, I, I've said this before, but it seems to me to be a good point, that the only way to uh, take attention off the incompatibilities of the woke camp is to, double, to increase the anti-white rhetoric and the anti-Western rhetoric. Now let's have a look here. If you see Islamized Belgium, Muslim students' treatment of the LGBT community is learned from their Islamic faith and prophet example. Let's watch a bit. That's a famous progressive phrase, Allahu Akbar. The thing is, it seems to me that uh, Muslims are not interested in being tolerant with the LGBTQ community. They're, they're quite interested in the opposite, really. Yeah. So how is this, and this is a criticism for leftists, how is this supposed to be compatible? It's obviously not. I yeah. mean, yeah. And look at how they're treated in Islamic countries. I mean... Uh, the example of rooftops, for example. Yeah. Uh, let me just read about the event. The Muslim students' treatment of the LGBT communities learned from their Islamic faith and prophet's example. On Thursday, the LGBTQIA plus community in Belgium suffered a violent attack by teenage Muslim students from the Atlas College in Genk. The Islamic attack occurred at an international day against homophobia and transphobia, event held at the school. City employees and volunteers from the LGBTQIA plus organization OGWA were present when over a hundred young Muslim students swarmed the table, hurling bottles and spitting on the rainbow hearts on display. They jeered and chanted the Islamic battle cry, Allahu Akbar, drowning out the pleas of the city employees and volunteers, teachers trying to intervene and support the victims. The situation eventually calmed down when the bell rang and most students returned to class. Now, <laughs> the thing is, if someone talks about this and says that, no, I don't want this to happen. I don't like these, let's say, attacks. They're going to be, they're going to be pronounced as racist. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is a fair point? 
Um, they might use the term Islamophobic, which is yeah. a really stupid term because I'm not afraid of Muslims. I just don't like them um, it, or their religion, should I say. Okay. And since we were talking about racism, we could end by focusing on the other analog, the anti-clause, such as we had imperialism and anti-imperialism. Now we have racism and anti-racism. And I think that the best way to fight against it is to basically ask people what they mean. Now here we're gonna watch, we're gonna remember a, a lovely video and let's play it. Unless I missed it, which is possible. I, don't, I didn't hear your personal definition. Is there, is there one that you would offer us? Like how do you define racism? Sure, so racism, I would define it um, as a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. <laughs> sure, a, a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism is a pretty simple using the same terms. Anti-racism is a collection of anti-racist policies leading to racial, anybody want to take a guess? Equity that are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. How do you define racism? Look, look, look at racism. her face now. Look at his face and her face. <laughs> this is a blast from the past. I had to show it. The thing is that, again, the, there's no, if you ask about it, there's no rationale underneath. It's just fundamentally on the metaphysical level, it's r racism and anti-racism in his mind. Racism is racism. Yeah. You, you, what a scholar. Yeah. And the thing is that this is funny because he obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. He, he, doesn't give, he doesn't give a good definition. But the thing is that there's also another tragic element into it that precisely because these terms have no let's say, solid foundation, they can be used accordingly from the people in power in order to target other people and without, let's say, having any basis. It's just a smear. You just throw in a, you're a racist, you're a racist, you're a racist, without be, and you, the question is, how do you define that? And you see the, one, one of the people who are in, in this movement, Ibram Kendi, he, he can't even define it. <laughs> I hope you appreciated that segment from the podcast to the Lotus Eaters and if you want to support our work you can come on down to the website and sign up and watch videos like Brokenomics number 20 which looks at universal basic income which is a bad idea in my opinion and um, if you want to check out um, what Dan is doing on Twitter the person who runs this series you can check him out at uh, kingbingo underscore thank you very much for watching <laughs>